you could just uh, give me some, maybe describe uh, what you're wearing today or what the okay, weather is. Like okay. Um, to be or not to be, that is the question. <laughs> Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Good? That is good, yeah. I mean, I don't want to stop you. <laughs> I'm Patrick Aiken, and this is Onomatopoeia, a podcast about the people and places of New York City. In this episode, Victor Bavine, actor, director, writer, teacher, and pioneer. So um, when I was five, I saw, I was with a, we were at an Easter dinner at one of my aunt's house, and on TV there was this movie about uh, old-time um, vaudeville, and there was an act with uh, this guy had all these dogs. And so I got it in my head that if I was an actor, I could have dogs. So I went to my, my parents, and I said, I'm going to be an actor, and they laughed. But Victor Bavine did become an actor. Now 68, he landed his first movie when he was just 16, attended the Yale Drama School, spent a decade in off-Broadway theaters before flying to L.A. to try his luck on TV. He got in a few shows, one of them, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And I played a Bajoran. I had to have a funny thing on my face. But it was, it was all of it was fun because I was a huge Star Trek fan as a little kid of the original series. And so just being dressed up as a Starfleet officer and carrying a phaser and jump running around these incredible sets, it was like I was 10. Turns out all that running around was the best part of being a TV actor. The rest of it wasn't so fun. And I just started getting, I remember being on the set of one of them and thinking, this is really boring. And I wanted to, decided at that point, I wanted to move on the other side of the camera. He wrote, directed, and produced all kinds of stuff over the next few years. But show business is a tough business. To make some extra money on the side, he taught playwriting to kids at a nonprofit. He continued teaching when he moved back to the East Coast a few years later. I was working with this really tough group of kids in Queens, and I was very frustrated. I'm driving back at the time I was living in New Jersey. Now an introduction and I turned on NPR, and there was a piece on parkour. This was like 2006. It's called Parkour. Lou Lokowski went out on the streets of New York to catch its practitioners in action. And um, when I was a little boy, and when I was like four years old, I used to have this recurring nightmare that I was being chased by a T-Rex. And the only way I could get away was my arms would lengthen and I'd push myself like a monkey. In the NPR show, they started talking about this move in parkour called the Kong Vault, which is exactly that. It's like King Kong, you know, plant your feet, your hands down and then bring your legs through. And I said, holy shit, that's what I used to dream. And then they started t saying how the kids were getting the metaphor that by overcoming physical obstacles, they could overcome other obstacles in their life as well. And I said, this is a calling. I've got to do something with this. I, I called my partner in L.A., the guy that was teaching with me, David Thompson, and um, he had lived in Paris for five years. And so I said, do you know about parkour? And I said, well, I know what parkour means, um, you know, le parkour in French. So he told me what it was, and I said, oh, I've seen those guys. The very next day, Bavine found out about a jam, or meetup, in parkour lingo, taking place at Riverside Park in Manhattan. So he hired a cameraman on Craigslist, filmed some of the athletes, and collected their phone numbers. He called me back and he said, you know, I, I, I think if we can develop something around this, that we really can help a lot of people and help save some of the kids that we weren't able to help um, teaching. We pitched 
pitched it to the third partner that we, at that point, we were developing um, shows with. And I think within a year and a half or two years, we had a we had a show on MTV. Hey, I'm your host, Todd Richards, and welcome to MTV's first ever Ultimate Parkour Challenge. This is the first ever parkour contest on U.S. soil. It's three rounds of competition, eight parkour athletes from around the world, and 10,000 bucks on the line. The show aired in 2009 and lasted two seasons. Bavine is proud of it. You know, it's still the biggest parkour event in history. It's 3.5 million viewers. Plus, the show was just the beginning of what would become a lifelong project. So we had said to the athletes, what do you need besides a TV show? And they said, leadership. Nobody is looking out for the overall go to the sport. And then we said, we can do that. So Bavine and Thompson, two middle-aged former TV actors, founded the World Federation of Free Running and Parkour, or WFPF. One of the things I always tell people, because they were like, why you guys? And how did you get into this? And, and I tell them, I said, well, you kind of have to be a little bit of a knucklehead to move to Hollywood to be an actor. So we didn't know what we were getting into when we started the Federation. You know, mentors showed up to help us say, well, in order to get the insurance, you've got to have a teacher certification. So we started a certification program. Then we started, you know, people were using homemade equipment and kids were getting hurt on homemade equipment. So we started an equipment company. Then we, you know, people didn't, there was no consistent uh, curriculum. So we started a curriculum program. The two also set up a nonprofit, the International Parkour Federation, or IPF. It provides funding and other forms of support to parkour athletes in places like Ukraine and Afghanistan. I think sometimes how many people listen to that radio program? And I said, oh, that's interesting. And somehow, because of that dream, because of the stuff in my life, my life story, it, it just, I had to do something with it. You know. And so I sometimes think how incredibly random this is. I just always believed in magic. And I think life without magic is just indulgence and pointless. This episode of Onomatopoeia was created by me, Patrick Hagan. Onomatopoeia is a production of the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. Joanne Ferrion is our executive producer and professor. Original theme music by Lee Feldman. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our graphic was created by Sunny Bean. Special thanks to Columbia Libraries.